Hey guys, welcome to the short-term show special episode series on Shenandoah, Virginia. A couple things I want to hit you with first before we get into the episodes. One, current purchase prices and current income data can be found on our website at theshorttermshop.com. So make sure you check that out because that can change all the time. Also, if you guys want to hang out with us and just talk about short-term rental stuff, you can do that with us and 60,000 of our closest short-term rental investor friends at our Facebook group. Same title as my book, Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth. Make sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and all of our podcasts if you can, because that really helps us out. Uh, You can subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Short-Term Shop YouTube, and then also follow us on Instagram at The Short-Term Shop. And if you're ready to buy a house with us in any of our 20 markets, you can email us at agents at theshorttermshop.com or really any of the avenues that I just gave you. Now let's get into it. Short-Term Show special episodes. It's uh, Shannon Dellett. Let's talk about writing a contract today. Let's talk about buying a house, baby. And uh, first disclaimer, number one, Cashflow Carl. I am not a real estate agent. Uh, I know a whole lot of real estate. And uh, here and happy to help with my main dude, Project Allen, Mr. Allen Taylor, uh, who is a real estate agent. How you doing, buddy? Doing great, man. Good to be here in the Shenandoah. Great weather. I mean, it's been hot here lately. I don't know. I'm timestamp. This is kind of uh, this is August 2023. It's super hot down here, but it's still going to be in the Shenandoah. Right. Um, yes. Same here. Not to talk about the weather, but the, <laughs> it is a thing, man. It's 100 and something degrees where I'm at. And uh, you blink your eye, it will be Christmas. Um, but today we're going to talk about uh, contract process. How do I get a deal closed? Is there anything weird in this market, et cetera? Um, so I guess let's start with that. Is anything out of the ordinary here, uh, or is it pretty cut and dry? Well, we'll get into this as we go through the episode a little bit. There's a couple of uh, peculiarities about uh, buying properties here in Virginia and the Shenandoah region, but uh, there's nothing that sticks out as like completely different or completely unusual or entirely unique to Virginia. Okay, cool. Um, what about um, negotiating? Um, and uh, like I said, let's start with earnest money. Uh, what, what do you recommend there? Uh, and again, obviously it's gonna change based on the, uh, the, uh, the, the climate. You know, we went from a really, really heavy seller's market to what has now become, uh, in my opinion, buyer's market, but the sellers aren't ready to admit it yet, <laughs> kind of. And again, if you're listening to this podcast uh, any other day than today, who knows what kind of market it'll be, but in general, uh, what are we seeing on uh, earnest money? Earnest money you're seeing about one uh, percent. That's pretty typical uh, throughout the the entire region. Uh, there were t- like during twenty, like during the pandemic when it was just this crazy rush in real estate. You were seeing people putting putting a lot more down towards earnest money deposit. Try, hang on, trying to be the first in line to get their offer accepted, but uh, I, don't, I don't think we're in that same environment. And uh, anyway, the Shenandoah is kind of outside the DC region where most of that craze was uh, focused. So you're going to see one percent earnest money deposit is fairly typical. Um, if you're really, you know, hot to get a property, you can you can put down a little bit more, but it's um, you know, generally 1% is pretty typical. Okay, is uh is it going to be refundable, non-refundable? Um uh, Great question. Yeah, it is refundable. I mean, it, it's going to depend like you, it's going to hinge on the contingencies, but yes, it is refundable. And there's there as of right now, there is not any non-refundable portion. So there's there's nothing that goes hard until after you're past the contingencies. Okay. Um both buyer and seller have to sign a document to get it released or is it an automatic release? or uh, depends on the contract? So typically here in Virginia, yes, both parties have to sign a release. Uh, in most cases, uh, that's not going to be a huge issue, but it is something you need to be aware of that both parties typically have to sign a release to get that money turned back to you. Okay, cool. Um, furniture. 
Let's, uh, well, I guess, first of all, do they normally come furnished? Or are they furnished in most cases uh, or not? So it's always negotiable. Uh, if you're if you're looking at properties that are going to be in a resort area or like a, a typical you know, short-term rental market, like there's particular counties, regions out here where that is very common to have furniture included in the sale or, you know, essentially left out of convenience for the seller. And that is typically treated, you, you want to put that in a separate bill of sale. So like lenders are not going to include that, the value of any furniture in, in the mortgage. That, so that, that's not something you want to bring up with your lenders. Like, hey, can we, can we get this included? And don't, that's not something you want to ask. That's not a question you want to ask your lender. I would say that. Um, but it is typical for people to leave furniture behind and, and the, they'll sometimes mention that and, you know, the property listing, they, you know, they're happy to leave stuff behind. So yeah, if, if that's something you're interested in, uh, you can definitely put a separate bill of sale together for that. So it'll go uh, hand in hand with the, the contract, but it'll be a separate, separate part of that. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, that's pretty common for most vacation markets. I think, uh, you know, uh, and, and the truth is uh, the furniture doesn't have any value as far as this, the real estate transaction is concerned. And you also have to keep in mind that it might not have any value period, other than the fact that it would be easier to get your house up and running with it is used furniture after all. Uh, and the seller, is not very likely to come back from Cleveland to pick up a whole semi truck worth of furniture. So in, in a market where short term is uh, the norm, um, that is pretty common for it to come furnished, uh, which comes with, you know, some, some things of its own. Um, what yeah, is those, have to, oh, go ahead. I was saying some of those gift horses. Yeah. Don't, don't consider like left behind furniture as a, as a gift or a blessing sometimes have that furniture if it's been in short-term rental it's going to be have seen some rough use in in many cases so don't count on that being stuff that you're going to keep long term uh you might be able to get by with some of it but even if it's being left behind does not mean it's uh the best furniture does not mean it's in good condition does not mean it's something you want to leave behind for your guests uh so even if it's you know come furnished don't don't count on that being stuff you want to you want to stake your reviews on for that property absolutely yeah, um, use couch, you know, I get a little. Um, what about contingencies? Uh, what are the contingencies of the contract uh, in, in general? So contingencies, you've got uh, you've got the home inspection contingency, which includes radon, a home inspection, and a wood destroying insect inspection. Is generally what uh, the kind of a three prongs you want to do that. And, and in this market, you definitely want to do all three of them, especially if you know you know radon. If you've got any part of the property that's below grade, or even if it's above grade, you know, you definitely want to do that. Um, and the home inspector, yeah, you definitely want to get that. And I highly recommend that for, you know, home inspecting or home inspections, you, the buyer, owe it to yourself to be there during the inspection to, to get a full, you know, a, a good look at the property. Make sure that you're asking good questions. Make sure that you ask, like, if there's any questions you're unfamiliar with, yeah, you definitely want to be there because that contingency is going to protect you in the case that there's anything wrong with the property, anything seriously wrong that's going to be a major concern for you or your lender. Uh, so, yeah, there's a, the home inspection contingency, and that's typically anywhere between seven to 12 days um, to, to get that done. So you definitely want to be on the ball for for getting your home inspection in there. And you're also going to have like the financing and appraisal contingencies. Those are fairly typical. It's probably something you're familiar with. If you bought property in any other state, uh, financing is going to be, again, you, like you will need to, to make sure you've got lending set up or, you know, at, at least on the rails before you, you put an offer in, that's going to be a, a kind of a precondition with you and your agent. Um, but yeah, if you definitely want to make sure you have your, your lending online and going for the, to meet that contingency. And again, that's, that's going to be like a 10 to, to 12 days, some, or actually in financing contingencies, you want to, you want to go up with the, probably like a 21 day, 
uh, contingency just to make sure that uh, things are lined up. You know, some some lenders, you know, it takes a while to get a, an appraisal out there and or an appraiser out there to do an appraisal and get that all lined up. And um, yeah, that's a that's something you want to keep in mind. And the, the appraisal contingency is going to happen at about the same time, same pace as the the financing. Uh, there's there's not much you can do to there's there's here in Virginia you can expedite some appraisals. I don't know how it is in other states, but uh, you can expedite expedite it in certain cases. Okay, cool. Now again, again just to clarify, the radon and the uh, wood 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 insect inspections those are generally going to be an additional fee. Yeah. So oftentimes you'll find home inspectors that will roll all three into one. So you'll find some home inspectors that'll be able to do radon or have a subcontractor that'll come out there and do that. Uh, they typically, in this area at least, they'll have somebody separate. You'll need like a pest control you know, company or something like that to do a wood destroying insect inspection. Occasionally you'll find a home inspector who will, who's going to be licensed to do that. But uh, generally they just do the home inspection. Radon can be an additional fee. And then, uh, yeah, the wood destroying insect inspection is typically... Uh, it, it's a smaller additional fee, but it is worthwhile. And then another thing you want to keep in mind with uh, like the home inspection contingency is in some places where there is a well or a septic system, that is also a separate contingency you want to be aware of. So if, if your property that you're looking at has a well and a septic system, uh, definitely make sure your agent is, uh, is keeping an eye on that making sure you have that contingency in place. Cause that can make a big difference. Just working on my hair day over here. So, uh, radon in general is, uh, uh, in my experience, is more like for basement situations. Obviously, you're going in the ground. It's a gas. I don't know too much about it, to be honest, because most of my markets don't have that. And I think most short-term shop markets in general don't have that. Um, so that is something to be aware of. What happens if I do get radon on my? What happens if radon does turn my uh, inspection? What do I do? They're gonna. Is there something a way to fix that? Yeah, generally, there's a there's some steps you can take uh, for, for remediating that. that, that, that often involves installing kind of some kind of ventilation system in the space where the radon was detected or where the levels were a little bit elevated. That's a negotiation point you can take up with the seller. You can ask them to contribute some towards, uh, you know, the remediation system. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's definitely something you want to be aware of during that process. And generally the home inspectors are the, you know, the, the radon inspection, you want to get done as soon as possible because that's something you'll have a, a limited negotiation period. So there's an inspection period during which you can conduct the inspections. And then there's often here in Virginia, there is a negotiation period where during which you can negotiate um, any kind of concessions that the seller might make to remediate the situation. And then after that negotiation period, there is what's called an election period where the buyers have the right to uh, essentially back out of the contract if they you know can't find an, a, a mutually acceptable agreement or they can continue with the contract uh, with the with the agreement in place over you know, what concessions were made. Yeah, uh, very good info. Is there a difference between uh, offering as is and removing the inspection contingency altogether? So offering as is, you mean like uh, you know the, where they're, the property listing says this this is being sold as is? Yeah, or if I just want to go ahead and offer as is, I know the answer, so it's a trick question. Uh, but uh, if I just want to go ahead and answer uh, offer as is, um, is that slightly different than removing the contingency? Um, and the, the answer is yes. I'll go on on that if you don't. I mean, I'm not an agent, so you take that one. I, I mean, just offer, I, I just offered a billion times. So, uh, but, <laughs> yeah, uh, so, it, sometimes I will offer as is. But then, you know, anyway, the, the answer is, is if you get if you offer as is, you can still get out on inspection. You just can't ask for any cash or concessions. Um, uh, but if you offer or if you remove the inspection contingency, then it's like the inspection doesn't exist. You have to close it. You you can still inspect, but you it doesn't matter with the negotiations or the contract. You still have to close it whether you inspect or not. 
Um, I've never done, uh, I personally never, again, not an agent, but I've personally never done uh, removing the contingency. I have many times, especially when things were super hot a few years ago, a couple years ago, um, as is. I've done that, you know, but that changes my offer as a buyer. And it really only, to me, it, it's more effective on a house that is, you know, in dis a little bit of disrepair. Maybe it was already a, a like a long-term rental. And it, um, I see that a lot in long-term rental where somebody's moved out, put it up for sale, and it needs stuff. It needs flooring. It needs paint. It needs a refrigerator. Um, but the seller knows that. So the seller, in that case, doesn't really want like a first-time home buyer coming in there and saying, oh, man, I got this inspection. It's got all this crazy stuff. It needs new floors. And the seller of a rental house is going to be like, yeah, you should have known that. So in that instance, oftentimes all all as is, uh, just to let the seller know, hey, I'm not some stupid, you know, pardon my language, but, you know, first time home buyer that doesn't know what I'm doing, I understand that it needs floors and carpet. Here's my number and I will not, you know, come back and try and hit you with all this knick-knacky crap. Um, uh, and uh, and sometimes sellers appreciate that. Now, if the seller is a first time in me as a buyer, the seller, that case, in that circumstance, I find that the seller only cares what the number is. So that depends on the buyer, right? So, I mean, the seller. So if the seller doesn't know what they're doing, a lot of times you're better off hitting them with the bigger number and then waiting for the inspection to come back and then blaming it on the inspection as to why their house is a piece of junk at that time and trying to get a couple of bucks. You know, so um, it, it's almost a uh, roll of the dice uh, because sometimes you can have a, a homeowner that, you know, a primary homeowner that does know what they're doing and doesn't want to deal with the bad carpet uh, and the busted fridge. And so they would like the as is. Um, so you're rolling your dice a little bit there. But anyway, uh, go ahead on that. Yeah, I'd say here in Virginia, there's a couple options. Yet yeah, You can forego the inspection contingency. I never recommend that. Uh, and I, don't, I don't think, if, especially if somebody's buying a you know, property remotely, uh, I never recommend that. I mean, having your agent go and, and take a look at the house is not the same as, as an inspection. I would never recommend foregoing an, an inspection contingency. There were people who were doing that here in the Northern Virginia area where I'm based out of. Uh, there were people who were, you know, desperate to get a property. And so they chase after it. They'd forego all kinds of, they'd forego their financing and appraisal contingency and the home inspection contingency. And they, yeah, I mean, they're, it was to make their offer more competitive. And a lot of times it worked, but, um, you know, taking a, taking a big, big risk there. So you can buy it. Um, you can offer as is you can do what's called an inspection only, or I've signed information only contingency here in Virginia, where it gives you the right to back out if you don't like the inspection results, but you cannot negotiate as far as any, you getting any concessions from the seller to do any repairs or anything else like that. So you can do a full contingency where you have the right to negotiate repairs. You can do an information only inspection, or you can you know, essentially forego the the inspection altogether if you want. But uh, again, never. I, I don't recommend that personally. Okay, got it. Uh, speaking of, let's talk about inspection. Uh, how many days on an inspection period? Uh, how many days negotiate to negotiate the period? You know, all that kind of stuff. So I'm going to say temp uh, for the home inspection contingency, typical between you know, 7 and 12 days, depending on your agent, depending on the market. Uh, 12 days is not uh, is, is generally more than enough to get done whatever you need to get done for a home inspection contingency. That includes the radon. That includes the home inspection itself. That includes wood destroying insect inspection. That should give you plenty of time. Now, you want to make sure that you are you're on the ball. You might have a home inspection coming up in the next uh, next little while. Generally out here, um, for home inspectors, a three to five lead day or a three to five day lead time is perfectly all right. They they can usually get at that out there within that time frame. And a lot of times they'll be able to give you an inspection report within, you know, 24 to 48 hours after the home inspection. They'll send you a PDF report. 
Uh, same thing generally with the radon. Those usually go together with the home inspection report. Wood destroying insect inspection depends on the person you're going to be hiring for that. Sometimes they're a little uh, faster, sometimes a little slower. So you want to make sure that you're getting that done as soon as possible. Well, within the inspection timeline. Got it. Um, uh, well, we already talked about radon and, and um, uh, additional inspections. So we covered that pretty cool. And then um, ever offer on tons of properties, then terminate that kind of thing. Uh, you know, I, I, I never really understood that. Um, why, why in the world? Now, if, you, if you've got the power to go buy six houses, offer on six houses. But if you're only going to buy one house, uh, offering on six houses is probably not not a great idea. That's a, at least in my opinion. But uh, in good faith, what do you have for me there? I uh, definitely want to echo echo that. You definitely don't want to you start making offers on tons of properties or offering more than what you can you know you can afford, and then back out over over some technicality. Uh, your agent's not going to appreciate that, and the the listing agent on the other side of that is not going to appreciate appreciate that either. And uh, you're gonna you're gonna make yourself a reputation you don't want, and uh, your your agent's probably gonna want to um, avoid situations like that in the future. So just keep in mind, like act in good faith. If you're offering on property, be sure you're good for it, and uh, make sure it's one that you're really interested in. Now, if you know during the inspection contingency something something comes up that you did not expect that nobody knew about ahead of time, that is a legitimate reason to you know back out of a contract that's totally fine but offer in good faith make sure that the properties you're making offers on are ones you're interested in that you can that you're good for and that you have uh you know sincere authentic interest in picking up appraisals uh what do we do when an appraisal comes in low can we terminate uh do we renegotiate what do we do so, absolutely so that's a great question appraisals are another opportunity for the buyer to either renegotiate with the seller what the, the asking price or the purchase price is, or you can back out at that point if the appraisal comes in much lower than the purchase price. Depends on how you craft that uh, the appraisal contingency. So this is part of the you know the the financing and appraisal contingency here in Virginia, and it is um, a it can be a major negotiation leverage. Sometimes you'll have you know listing agents pressuring you to forego that, but uh, again, I don't recommend foregoing contingencies if if you're I just don't recommend it. It's a great protection to keep in place. So the appraisal happens and say like you've got a property that, you know, came in, you know, you, you negotiated it at like five, five fifty. That's the purchase price. You know, the appraisal comes in at like, you know, they say it's only worth, you know, five forty or five thirty. Um, you can show that to the seller and say, Hey, look, you know, I've got this, you know, appraisal contingency in place. It allows me to back up, but I will come down to that purchase price. So I'll, I'll meet you at like five, you know, 30, what the appraisal says. And oftentimes you'll see sellers that are just, you know, willing to go through with the appraisal uh, value. And it, it, it's, it's a love hate relationship that sometimes we have with appraisers often, you know, sometimes they come in above, sometimes they come in below and uh, just kind of your lender has to go with what they say. So it's a, uh, it's a mixed ball game, but oftentimes um, it's a major negotiating uh, point with the, the seller to come down in price. And uh, yeah, something to keep in mind. It's a great protection to have in a place here in Virginia. And uh, Yeah. It also greatly depends on, again, buyer market versus seller market, which we've had such huge swings in that in recent past. It's hard to even know what's going on, you know? So I've had, you know, years ago, I had uh, appraisals come back a little low and the the seller would um, come down or maybe meet you in the middle and, and they're ready to be done with it because it's says, so let's just get this thing over with. And, you know, if it was only a few grand or whatever, um, and then there was a period of time where we saw almost every single offer had, uh, every offer I was making was like no appraisal contingency. I'll just take this thing, no matter what it appraises at, that kind of thing. And then you got to pay the difference if you're financing. Uh, and, uh, that was crazy. That was too crazy. 
for a, as a buyer, I'm, I like to buy real estate when, when the appraisal contingency is off plate. I'm like, what? Uh, let's take it easy here. And now we're swinging back, back around to much more normal. Um, and, uh, and again, you know, that's one of those things. It depends on where the market is in, in 2021 was so crazy that it like skewed everything a little bit, you know? So in other words, if you're coming into real estate in 2021 for the first time, you might not realize that that's not normal. And, uh, that means that good things are coming your way because we'll, uh, you definitely don't want that to happen on a regular basis. Alan, backing up just a uh, financing contingency. Uh, what if it, you know, what if my bank says they don't, you know, like talk about that. How does a financing contingency work? And um, can I get out of the contract? And for any reason, how does that work? So the most common way to set that up here in Virginia is if you've got a financing contingency in place, uh, in place, the lender will order the appraisal. They'll go out and do the appraisal, comes back for a certain amount. And at that point, you have the, the ability to either negotiate uh, with the, the seller for a change in price, or uh, depending on the conditions and how your agent filled it out, you may be on the hook to cover the gap between them. So if you you offered to purchase at like, you know, six six fifteen, and the appraisal came back at six hundred thousand, uh, you may be on the hook to to come up and you know cough up that extra fifteen k out of pocket. Uh, so make sure your agent knows how to put that uh, contingency together. But if your if your lender, for example, is you know if they're not gonna if the, if you don't get approved for that um, that loan amount. For whatever it is, uh, they will often to be able to get out of the contract at that point. You have to have the lender come up with a a lender, essentially a denial letter, saying that I am not able to approve this, you know, this purchase at this, you know, for this loan amount for this particular purchaser. And you will have to send that to the the listing agent. You will have to demonstrate that there is actually a cause for you to not, you know, this is the financing contingency. If you could not obtain financing for it for any reason. They have to, you know, you have to produce that letter to show to the other side to be able to, you know, get out on that contingency. And that's, uh, that's, and without that, without that letter, uh, that is, that'd be a bad faith move on your part. And, um, and if you, you definitely don't want to have your, your loan officer do something that's, uh, that's going to put their own license at risk. Luke, I don't know if, uh, you probably have some additional input here as well. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, if, <laughs> if you can't buy the deal, uh, and the bank's going to, not give you the loan, then you don't buy the deal, but you definitely have to have documentation. I see that all the time where uh, basically you're down to your last out and it's the financing contingency. Uh, and then, but the bank doesn't want to, you know, the bank's not going to say, Hey, you can't buy this house unless you actually can't buy the house. Uh, and so sometimes a seller or a buyer will say, Hey, Mr. Bank, can you give me a letter that says I can't buy this house? And the bank's like, well, you can't, you know, so you be careful of that act in good faith, do the right thing. Um, uh, let's go back to seller disclosures. Um, what do they have to disclose? Uh, do, do, uh, investment owners have different disclosures from, uh, primary homeowners and, and, and things like that? So no, if it's a, if it's a residential property in Virginia is a non-disclosure state. So the seller does not have to disclose very much, if anything at all, uh -huh. there's, there's very few you know, like corner cases where they'd have to disclose something. It's, it, sometimes it's, uh, in connection with like, uh, any like a septic system contract, occasionally they might have to disclose something like that. Or if there's like a, if it's in like a military airstrip noise zone or something like that, they, they may have to disclose it. But everything, like most everything else here in Virginia, you do not have to disclose. And there's a huge uh, statement you have to sign when you put an offer together that you're acknowledging that it is a non-disclosure state, that you are on the hook for doing your own due diligence and uh, making sure that this property is a good fit for you. So a, a good good reminder to keep in all those contingencies in place so you have a chance to look through the property, do all your due diligence, yeah. make sure that there's no surprises. That's actually pretty cool. I mean, listen, I uh, 
don't do it. Just don't do it. Don't, don't do what I say. But I, I'll be honest. A lot of times I don't even look because I'm, especially if I'm going to the house, because I'm like, man, this seller doesn't know anything about this. I know more, but I've been in this house for two seconds and I can tell you more about this house than this seller just because the average Joe just doesn't know a lot about real estate. So, you know, don't get all up in arms. This is just me again. I'm not an agent. I'm just a buyer, but I'm not going to sit there and like scrutinize what he put on the seller disclosure. So it has this and that. A lot of times I'm like, wait a minute, the dates on these are not even right. This HVAC is this old and this kind of thing, you know? So, um, uh, I, I personally just don't really care too much what the seller has to say. In most cases, I'm going to get in there and form my own opinion, uh, based on the, uh, extent of my career and, and the knowledge that I have and historical data. And, uh, and, and that's pretty cool. I mean, is it, does it come in handy? Maybe to a certain extent. Um, but, uh, but I don't think it, I would, I would bother me at all to not have that. So, um, no big deal there. Yeah. I want to uh, foot something too. Cause it, I feel like there's a lot of people who are buyers who are, you are always asking me like, why are they selling the property? Why are they selling the property? It's a, it's oh, a very man. popular question. All the time. And, and it's almost like they expecting like them to be hiding like bodies in the basement or something like that. You know, why are they trying to offload this property? It looks so good. Why are they trying to sell it? You know, there could be a hundred reasons, uh, you know, a thousand reasons somebody selling a property and some of the, most of those are not going to be material to you. It's not going to make a difference. So, you know, their motivation or their reason for selling, it could be that they're trying to 1031 into a different thing or that, you know, they had, they lost a family member or their medical reasons. All these other things that are not going to be material to you in purchasing a short-term rental property in that area. So asking like, you know, why they're selling it, um, generally, I would say generally is not the a great question to ask just because, you know, the answer is not going to matter. Or if you ask a question, it's just, you're not going to get a, a satisfactory answer. So I, I don't know. Luke, mate, what, do you, what do you think about that? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, I see that all the time on the internet. Again, I'm not an agent, so I don't, I don't have to deal with this firsthand with my own clients or anything. Um, and I will say when I was a buyer, you know, when I first started, um, I, you know, that's one of the things I, I was kind of like, you worry, but, um, now after, you know, you, you, you do it enough times, it just becomes old hat. And, and the truth is there's a million different reasons why they're selling the house and not one of them matters to the buyer, not one of them, you know, um, the, the answer is never, this house is a dumb. Uh, it's never going to make any money. Don't buy it. If, if you can't figure that out before you even offer, then this business probably isn't for you. You've got to figure that part out before you get yourself deep enough on this house. Any other reason that is beyond your control, because that is a, that in your control. The, the one thing that these buyers are worried about is in their control. If the house is a dud and it doesn't make any money or it's not going to be perfect for their friend. And again, it doesn't have to make money. It doesn't have to make money in short term. That's the beauty of this. If you want to go out and find a really nice house that your family wants to go on vacation and get some tax benefits and things like that, this is a great asset class. But if it doesn't work for you and your family, you need to know that and be smart enough to know how to spend. In other words, what you're trying to tell me here is that you went out and bought a stock you knew nothing about. And then the next day, just because the universe shifted and didn't like you, it went down the crapper. You know, um, now again, stocks to me are even more. I know it's a ridiculous example, but that is more realistic that that could happen than it would with a house. So don't go buy a stock that you're worried about going down the crapper, buy a nice and even stock that stays the same all the time, or, you know, goes up a little bit, um, different types of stocks for different types of buyers. Same thing here with houses. And, uh, let's, let's, I mean, let's list some reasons. 
Um, getting divorced, probably one of the most common. Somebody died. Those are the two, two most common, divorce and death. Now, also, that, and that's just regular real estate, regular old houses. And um, vacation home real estate, you're more often than not dealing with folks that have a lot of money and they don't even need to care about this house. You know, it's just a, it's either this or the boat. Which one are we going to buy? And they ended up with the house. So uh, at a certain point, you might get sick and tired of that boat, you know, but there's somebody right behind that's eager to get out that boat out there and get, get it running and have some fun with their family, you know? So, uh, it, or maybe it's a situation where, uh, they've had it long enough and they're, it's got some equity. They want to move it into something bigger. Maybe they're moving into another market. Maybe they're 1031. You know, I mean, there's a million different reasons. The only one that the buyer needs to be concerned with is the only one that they have any control over. There you go. Drop the mic on that. Um, <laughs> Uh, what else do we need to talk about? Uh, our final walkthrough. I th did we skip anything, or let's let's go to final walkthrough, and then we can recap. Well, yeah. Before we we okay, go, go ahead. I want to footstep one other thing you said about that. So, like all the questions about why are they selling? Oftentimes, I get people you know asking them like, hey, you know, it, it, it's common to buy a, a property out here that has been previously used as a short term rental. It's very common out here in, in these markets, and it's probably common everywhere else. And one of the questions I frequently get is, hey, can they provide like, you know, like business receipts, you know, for the past year or something like that? You know, what their you know, income statements. And I can understand like the the want to like see how they've done as a business. But that like you got to realize they're selling a house. They're not selling a business. And then your management style, like the, the way you're going to run this house is not going to be in, like the way that they've run things is not necessarily going to be an indication of how you're going to do at the house. You might be, you're, you're probably going to be able to do it better. If you're, if you're self, you know, self-managed remote, you know, owner, you're going to be able to, you have some advantages that they might not have had, or you might be more motivated to get things done and advertise it better than they did. So asking for like, you know, records of how they've done you know, their past, you know, sales revenue over the past year or so, um, not always a guarantee. They don't have to disclose that. There's no reason that they have to, they might choose to, but it's not a guarantee. And even if, uh, they do have it, it's not necessarily accurate information that I would, I would recommend people base any kind of like forecasts on. Yep. hundred percent, hundred percent. Um, we've, we've said it a million times around here, rental history doesn't matter, but I understand when you're new it, and it is, you know, commercial real estate and long-term rental, you need to see that lease. You need, I mean, you need to see what's going on right now. It doesn't mean that you're not going to, it's the same thing though. You're going to improve it, but you actually have, that's one thing that makes short-term easier. When you've got a 10 unit apartment building with 10 leases, it's making this much money, but I need it to make this much money. And it should make this much money because the market has changed and this guy's not keeping up with things and it needs some work and the tenants are not paying enough. And you got to go in there and it's like a three, four year process to get that thing turned around. All the tenants got to end up, you know, you give them rent increases. Some of them will end up leaving. Some of them won't. Some of them, you know, it's, it's, it's a whole thing. With short term, there's no lease. Uh, there's no commitments of any kind. So when you buy the house, it's coming empty and you get to in instantly raise those rents to whatever you need them to be or put in new appliances and raise the rents, put in new flooring and raise the rents. Can't do that in commercial real estate. Can't do that in long-term rental. Uh, it's a long drawn out process. Um, so uh, yeah, interesting point there. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, final walkthrough. 
Uh, talk to me about final walk walkthrough and uh, um, uh, should I go to that? Should I not go to that? I, I have mixed feelings on the subject. So I always recommend that people go and do the final walkthrough as much as they possibly can. I realize that's not always going to be possible. You know, somebody might have, you know, family obligations come up, but I always recommend that if you were buying the house, that's your opportunity to make sure that it is in the condition that the seller told you it would be at the, at the time of sale. So and part of the home inspection contingency is that, that you, you can stipulate that the home is going to be in the same condition that it was at the at the at the time of the home inspection. So essentially, when you're doing a home inspection, you can say the house has to be in this condition at you know time of closing, and this is a good opportunity to have your home inspector go back and do a reinspection. You know, usually they don't. It's not near as as expensive to do it to, to do the reinspection or final walkthrough as it is to do the initial inspection. They're usually a small nominal fee. But I highly recommend you do that just to make sure that the house is still in the same condition, that they haven't, you know, ripped out drywall or, you know, taken out like doors or, you know, something weird like that. Um, oftentimes, you know, if if the property is being sold furnished in, in some kind of way, they're planning on leaving behind furniture. Occasionally, they might stipulate that they're going to be taking some personal items out. You want to make sure you're aware of that. And um, if there's any other issues that come up, you definitely want your home inspector to be aware of that. Your agent is not going to be the best person to do this. Um, they are they don't. They're not a home inspector. They're a real estate agent, um, and they're not going to be the person that you want to you want to have in charge of, of doing something like that. And they don't want to be the you know person who's liable for you know maybe missing something uh, that the home inspector. So they, again, I highly recommend you get your home inspector out there again to do the final walkthrough. And that when when they do that final walkthrough, you be there with them. It's not always possible, but I always recommend it. Yeah, that's what I have mixed feelings on this one because. Uh... I do think, especially if you're new, you need to get to the final walkthrough. It's difficult. Uh, most of the time we're buying vacation homes at a distance is very long. And it's, it's almost like you just went all that, went through all that trouble and airplanes and all this. And just for 15 minutes, you know, it's really all it is. You just walk through and check it out and make sure, you know, I mean, you could do some more inspecting, but it's a little too late at that point for that kind of thing. Um, so, uh, if, but here, if you're brand, all right, this is where it gets even more weird. If you're brand new, Go to the house. Do yourself a favor. Give yourself some warm fuzzies for the final walkthrough. This is where this is where it gets weird because the gut instinct is at that point just wait until it closes in a day or two days and stay there and then get all your stuff done. Do your six trips to Home Depot a day and all that kind of thing. Problem is, is that with a short term from the day the mini is closed in, until you're ready to get in there and there's some weird stuff can happen. The property manager is involved. Maybe they forgot to cancel the guest. You're never going to get keys. Nobody ever gets keys in short term because there aren't any keys. Everybody's a push button deadbolt. And then a lot of times they forget to give you the code or the deadbolt's dead and you got to do all this running around just to get into the house or, you know, also let's not forget you got to turn utilities on. That might take you three or four days. So you're trying to sleep in a house that's got no water, you know, so it is a, it's a weird thing there. Uh, if you can afford to take the whole week and knock all that stuff out at once, uh, that would be great. But yeah, for me, definitely consider sending your home inspector back over there. It's usually a fairly low fee to get them to kind of reinspect and maybe even check a uh, repair repair proposal uh, uh, list and see if that things got done. Um, now that being said, I do want my agent to be there, especially if I'm going to be there. Um, just give me some opinions on everything and give me some warm warm fuzzies, especially if I'm brand new. Um, but again, yeah, I don't think it's right to, to expect your, uh, agent to just go over there and videotape everything and make sure that it's going to be perfect and up to your standards because, you know, an agent's not a builder, not a, an inspector, home inspector. And, uh, it's too much to ask of them, quite frankly. Again, they should probably be there, but to ask them for 
detailed advice on structural integrity and things like that is not a good idea. That's not their gig. Um, hopefully it's not gotten that far at this point. Anyway, we should have already taken care of that kind of stuff, but, uh, I always want to encourage you to go to final walkthrough. Always. There's been a couple of times where I forgot and uh, I was mad about it, but, and there was a period in my career where I didn't go to them at all. I found that they were kind of a boring waste of time. And, and then I came back around to that. And now I do go to them again, you know, um, be present, be present. It's your first in investment. It's your first, uh, if it's the first house you've bought that you don't live in, I, I would recommend personally to be there for as much of any of this as possible at the same time. You don't want to go too far and be up everybody's backside, you know, that kind of thing. But, uh, all right, man, cool. What else? Did we, did we miss anything? I think that about covers it. I mean, you, you and I both probably have stories, you know, fun stories about inspections and vinyl walkthroughs and all kinds of stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, you, especially if you're new, I highly recommend you get out there and take a look at it, get a good, and it's a great opportunity to kind of build a list of what you need to do to get this thing up and running. So, yeah, I think we covered all the bases. Yeah, I mean, if you want any help on this subject and want to, would like to buy a house, that's why we're here. Short-term shop, theshorttermshop.com. You can get directly to Alan. Just click that button on there that says, talk to an agent right on the main page. Can't miss it. And we would uh, really be honored to uh, earn your business and Shenandoah. And, uh, and thanks for hanging with us. And uh, don't overthink it. <laughs> <laughs>